I love uh, I love so many kinds of music. Um, I don't think I'm like Prince in any way, shape or form, other than being from Minnesota. <laughs> but I love him. I feel like he was such an artist, a true artist, and followed his thing to the hilt. And Prince was somebody who I think who really mixed the sacred with the profane. So like God is not too far away, even in like the funkiest, you know, sexy song. There's still a mix of the divine and the the carnal, you know, and I think I think I think that spiritual like undertone. I mean, there's no there's uh, to me there's not like Christian music and not Christian music. I mean, I mean, like it's music is music, and everybody's sort of beliefs and life path infuses their writing. So, uh, so like, maybe we aren't so dissimilar. Me and me and Prince. Welcome to Curious Goldfish, a podcast community where music and curiosity come together through interesting conversations with the music makers of our world. I'm your host, Jason English. You can find Curious Goldfish in all the major podcasts and social media platforms. And of course, we have all of our content on our website, CuriousGoldfish.com. Chances are I will never get to meet Alice Peacock's children, which is a shame because I'd love to just sit them down, look them in the eyes, and try to convince them how cool their mom is. Not that they need convincing, I'm sure. But Alice has had an extraordinary run the last few decades, including sharing a music label with the likes of Five for Fighting and Train, having John Mayer join her in her recording of her hit song, Bliss, and a fantastic return to recording a few years back with her album, Minnesota. Alice performs the title track, Just For Us, at the end of our conversation, performing it with the backdrop of a sun-splashed Gulf of Mexico behind her. That gap between her Aware Records stint and Minnesota is perhaps the best example of why Alice is so cool. She's a successful musician, confident in her songwriting and singing, and she was so confident that she focused on raising her family, sacrificing her own career to spend quality time with her little ones. She obviously has no regrets, but you can tell she's like a kid herself now, wide-eyed with an anticipation and excitement as she's starting to get back into the swing of things, performing at music festivals and handfuls of gigs here and there. We cover a lot in our conversation, and once and for all, she helps us settle the score on the best spot for Cincinnati Chili. Here's Alice Peacock. Let's dive in. Alice Peacock, so nice to meet you. It's very nice to meet you. I really appreciate your time. We are here in Santa Rosa Beach, Florida for 30A. How many years have you been here? This is my third year. What about this event? Do you think it makes it different than others? I think, well, the destination is pretty spectacular. I mean, right now we're, we're looking at the ocean and the sun is shining and there's a beautiful white sand beach, which, you know, <laughs> you don't get it. The, I don't know, Poughkeepsie Songwriter Festival. I've never played that one, but I, I'm sure the view is not as good. Um, I don't, I don't too even bad know for Poughkeepsie. Yeah, too bad. Yeah. Yeah. Schenectady has a much better one. <laughs> I like to describe this. It's like the, our musicians conference. I mean, even though we're here for the festival and we're playing for people, a great listening audience, people are, are you know, respectful. They're there to hear the songs. But so many artists, we never get to see our friends because we're always just ships passing. You'll see your friend's poster at some club and be like, oh, he's there next weekend. And, you know, you never get to see each other. So here I'm able to actually catch up with a lot of people I haven't seen in a long time and get to hear their songs. And um, so, yeah, it's just a, a big, it's a great hang. 
yeah, I've seen you a few times outside of your performances and I was going to ask you, do you take, do you take the opportunity to not just catch up and stuff, but do you pick each other's brains or is it more just like kind of surface level? I mean, conversations get deep. I wish, in some ways I wish we had even more time so then we could sit down and write and, yeah, and, do and things, you know, yeah. and actually have a, a minute. Um, it's a lot of, um, I mean, we, we keep moving pretty well and, uh, we stay up very late, so we have to pace ourselves. Right. The late night <laughs> uh, house shows are, are great. They're very fun. Yeah. They're very fun. And the, yeah, it's the, the after hours, um, uh, kind of jams and conversations. We tend to talk about all sorts of things, projects and, um, creativity. I went to Daryl Scott's set last night. It was two sets after mine at the same venue. And I hear a lot of songs and one of his songs just hook me down. I was just mm. standing in the back and I just started weeping. Oh, wow. I thought, wow, I am, I was not prepared for this. And, uh, I went up and talked to him afterwards and, and then Beth Nielsen Chapman was standing there and I, her song, uh, sand and water tears me up oh my as gosh. well. And so we started talking about grief and we started talking about, I mean, you know, the conversations are usually not surface ever. Well, that's great. Obviously there's, you know, a lot of artists here. It's the different experience because of the different venues you know there, there's really just one big stage but everything else is kind of scattered but if you had to pick a lineup one evening for the alice peacock <laughs> festival in cincinnati who would be the what would be the lineup four or five artists that come to mind yeah that's a hard one because there's i have so many favorites but yeah. um i think prince would be my headliner okay stevie wonder would be on there okay um joni mitchell would also play um Probably some, and maybe some Neil Young. And, oh, I got to go for five here. Um, oh, shoot. This is really hard. I don't know. Probably like just like a great soul act, like a, a James Brown mm. or Sly and the Family Stone or I can't choose. That's right. I that's don't know. Right. It's, so it's, it's too hard. That's pretty diverse. <laughs> Your inspiration and kind of what you consider maybe inspiring you to be a songwriter and be a musician do you lean towards the genre? Well, it's interesting. Yeah. But yeah, cause I, I named a lot of R and B yeah. soul artists. I love, uh, I love so many kinds of music. Um, I don't think I'm like Prince in any way, shape or form other than being from Minnesota, but I love him and I love how he, you know what, actually I shouldn't, I shouldn't say that because I feel like he was such an artist, a true artist and followed his thing to the hilt. And Prince was somebody who I think who really mixed the sacred with the profane. We were talking before we started our interview a little bit about like our church backgrounds growing up in right. the church. And, you know, a lot of R&B and soul artists grew up singing in church. And so like God is not too far away, even in like the funkiest, you know, sexy song. There's still a mix of like the divine and the, the carnal, you know, and I think. I think I think that spiritual like undertone. I mean, there's no there's uh, to me it's like there's not like Christian music and not Christian music. I mean, I mean like it's music is music, and everybody's sort of beliefs and life path infuses their writing. So, uh, so like, maybe we aren't so dissimilar, me and me and Prince. And then I think if you know, obviously like s great singer songwriters like Neil Young and Joni Mitchell and Jackson Brown and Carole King and people who who could sit down at their instrument and just, you know, write a song that was very heartfelt and personal, especially Joni. Joni was a huge influence on me. She sang about herself in positive and negative ways. Right. She was very honest and maybe one of the first heart artists I heard sing about herself that way, like very um, confessional. And to me that that's interesting. Like I, that's the music I'm interested in making because it's really a form of therapy for me. 
you know, just processing my own thoughts and emotions and feelings. And uh, then, you know, other people put their own interpretations on other people's songs too. You know, we put our, we put our own, everybody's songs affect us differently, personally. You use the term singer songwriter. Do you think, is it, uh, I'm always curious about people that can really, really sing, you know, there's a, there's a role there, right? To be a good vocalist. But for those people that are like that, that want to be good songwriters, is that a bigger leap? Do you think than a person that can really put amazing words down on paper that needs to learn maybe how to sing? Like what, have you thought about that? What, what's the bigger, bigger jump do you think? I don't know. You know, it's interesting. I do know people who are just lyricists, mm. but they do have a sense of music. I mean, mm. they have a, they understand structure of a song and they know how long a chorus should be, how long verses should be. I mean, they have a, a internal idea of musical composition, but their lyrics are really their gift. Look at all those songs that Bernie Taupin and Elton John wrote together. You know, Bernie did the words, Elton did the music and they wrote these amazing <laughs> tunes. Grew up always just singing Mm. that's i mean my voice is my instrument and Mm. then figured out a way how to how do i get this musical idea across um you know i'm a self-taught and so they both they both kind of just came very organically to me the the writing the lyrics and the music but um and you wrote you wrote songs at pretty young age right always Yeah, yeah. yeah when i hear my kids sometimes i'll hear my kids sort of fiddling around on the piano or something it makes my heart warm because it reminds me of me picking out mm. tunes you i mean usually they were songs i heard maybe i would try and you know like play this eagle song that i heard on the radio but a lot of it were just my own original compositions and um what I, what comes first typically i know it may differ on the song but does the music and the melody come first or the words yeah music and the melody but they they kind of show up together in some ways like i, I mean the music and the melody and i'm singing usually just nonsense words over a melody and then sometimes a word will jump in and I'll say oh maybe that's what this is song you know songs mm. about maybe it maybe that's something or a little phrase maybe that's part of my chorus but that's usually how I like to write it's like a phrase that just appears out of the ether <laughs> I mean I've yet to take a poem or something and, and prose and put it to music because usually that for me it has to sing well mm. it has to it has to the words have to sound good coming out of my mouth can anybody do it? I think I've read an interview once where you said, you know, you wrote songs when you were growing up, but you were in college doing musical theater. And yeah, I think you were on a retreat or something. And you, you just said, oh, yeah, like normal people can write songs, too. Well, and that's kind of the epiphany, I guess. Is do you, you know, I do. do I do that? believe no. that. I mean, I you know, I, I so we spend our summers up at um, a wilderness camp, two wilderness camps up on the Minnesota Canadian border. Um, and I teach songwriting at the girls camp. And teach is, you know, I mean, I, I, I joke and say it's kind of a loose term, but I, but I, we write songs together. I show the girls like we're writing camp songs together and it kind of demystifies the process because I just think that it's a great thing. I mean, little kids make up songs all the time. You hear little children just singing along and singing their own little songs. And at some point in time, someone tells them to be quiet or it's not very good or whatever. And I think we, we close off that creative outlet right. and, we should all be making up little songs. I mean, they're, you know, and what's a good song? What's a good song? What's a bad song? I mean, it's, it's a joyful way to express yourself. You know, some people paint, some people dance. I'm not saying everyone has to be musical, sure. but I do think we all have the potential to put our thoughts in a 
song way or at least, or be a part of something right. which is fun you know yeah, at camp yeah. maybe the girls aren't writing their own song but we're writing it together and they're really excited about the song that they wrote about s'mores and then we sang it at dinner and then all of a sudden they start singing it on their canoe trips and <laughs> they're like i was a part of this song i yeah. helped write this song it's just one of those things where yeah. you know you you do come to a festival like this and listen to music and you're like man that that's really cool and you have to kind of be vulnerable to be willing to actually put it on paper yep but then what's it like to put it on paper, put words or put music around it and then sing it in front of people? I mean, that's got to be really, really something. Yeah. I mean, it is, you you know, it's, um, I mean, at least for me, I mean, every new song, sometimes I'm very, very excited about a song and I'm like, this song is good and I'm excited to play it. And yeah. sometimes uh, I'll write something that feels like pretty personal and yeah. I'm thinking, oh, geez, this, this, this might suck. <laughs> and, but is, it's terrible. And is and, your song, is your song time? Is that still your favorite? I love time. Yeah, that was one of those songs that I feel just sort of dropped from the heavens into my lap. I wrote it so fast. Hmm. I do think there's a few times I've had songwriting experiences like that where I've just sat down and the song just, I was just kind of a conduit. And that's always a fun thing when that happens because it just feels too easy. And, it, and it's meaningful to me, you know. So, yeah, I mean, there are, there are some people who are incredible craftspeople. They will, they're meticulous. They edit. They hone. I'm a pretty fast writer in that I, I think that's just kind of how I am also as a musician. I'm just pretty organic. If I don't feel it right away, I often will just dis dis discard it and move on to something else. It's probably also my ADHD, which <laughs> I just found out that officially I have. But oh, wow. Long suspected. Yeah. yeah. It actually makes my whole life make <laughs> complete sense now. I'm yeah. like, oh, that's why I always did my papers the night before. Yeah. So I lose interest if it doesn't feel like it's flowing. There is uh, beauty in sticking with something, yeah. really. And I, I have written with a few different co-writers who are that way, who go back and they revise and they edit and they that would drive me crazy. Yeah. But, but I can learn a lot from that. And they not only are, are very talented, they get the spark, um, but they also have the craft yeah. thing down too, which they're, they're both important. I mean, you have to be patient and methodical yeah. and just, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. They, they really want to make it right. Right. I'm maybe a little willy-nilly sometimes, and I'll be—I'll just throw it out there. And could there be a better word? Very possibly. Could I have? Could I have edited more? Yeah, right. it's, it's possibly true. But you know, I once read Joni Mitchell said, "What well, maybe was about a recording?" She said, "A recording is just a snapshot in time." Hmm. And uh, instead of like looking back, you know, sometimes I'll look back at my some of my songs and my records and just think, "Oh, I wish I'd done that differently," or "Why did I put that on the record?" But it's where I was. Yeah, it's and part it's, of the process. It's right? just, yeah, you got to be okay with being vulnerable and putting it out into the world and then saying goodbye to it. Well, and speaking of your career, you, you were signed with Columbia. Yes. How old were you? Uh, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't a baby. No, but, but you were uh, in your 20s, right? No, I was, let's see, well, I was 29. Yeah, I mean, yeah. maybe like right on the edge. Yeah, yeah. 29, well, 30. Um, yeah, well, I was signed to Aware Records, which... Um, it's a subsidiary, yeah. And so the Aware had signed, had had huge success with John Mayer. You know, he was blown up at the time. And also Train and Fight for Fighting. And Aware was founded by a guy named Greg Latterman, who used to do these Aware compilations, these uh, CDs. Yeah, I don't know, do you cool. remember those yeah, in college? Yeah, totally, 100%. Yeah, and they would, you know, he put all sorts of bands on there. Jacko Pierce and, I don't know, like just Dave Matthews probably. I, mean, I don't know, all these bands were probably on these Aware compilations and these you know, college students, the street team, would have taken like and pass them out at school, and then the bands would come and play. I mean, it was brilliant. It was a great model of how to how to build a, a grassroots music 
network. Yeah. And so Greg had a lot of success with that. And anyway, so he signed me to Aware. If, and, uh, if you think about it, that was kind of the precursor to all the streaming playlists. It was. Right? There was just a lot more poster hanging and, and you know, feet on the on the street. <laughs> yeah. It was the street like, team. And yeah. Pace Magazine, right? Like early on. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I remember getting all those samplers. It's funny mm-hmm. you mentioned Jacko Pierce because I saw them twice last year. Yeah. I'm seeing them in Atlanta in February at Eddie's Attic again. Awesome. Yeah. And Carrie's. I, I know Carrie Pierce well. Do you? Yeah. yeah. Though it's, it's funny how artists and music can basically be like a lifelong partner mm-hmm. for sure. And it's like these two guys that were in Texas blew up in the nineties. Those songs are still relevant to me today. Yeah. You know, Pat McGee band, yeah. um, you know, so many people, I, I did some dates with Pat and I had friends of mine who were like, Oh my gosh, I saw him when I was at UVA and right. or wherever some other caught up. I was at Denison. I was, you know, whatever college. And you, when you see bands in your formative years, like those are, I remember trip shape, trip Shakespeare, um, Dan Wilson, Semisonic. I'm trying to think of other bands. Indigo Girls. Right. And I, you know, Sean Colvin. I will be fans of their music. I'll want to get yeah. their stuff forever. Yeah, forever. It just That's was uh, important at that, pi- at that time of my life. So you mentioned John Mayer. Bliss was the song that you guys did together, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you have a story, an anecdote on that experience? No, I mean it's not as it's not as exciting it's as not? it as it oh or gosh. scintillating as it might seem. Yeah. No, I I wrote the song and Greg had gotten and from this from what I understand, I'm on a need to know basis. I believe Greg got him the, the recording and I think he, he liked it. I heard he said, Hey, can I sing on it? I don't know if Greg said, Hey, can you sing on it? I'm not <laughs> I'm not quite sure what happened. But uh, yeah, he ended up putting his background vocal on, which was super cool. Yeah, that's cool. And Greg asked me, he's like, John Mayer wants to sing in your song. Can you you know, is that cool? And I was like, I mean, I suppose. I mean yeah. if he has to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cool. That's really good. Yeah. So that was fun. So Columbia and then I know you talk about this all the time, but put out a few albums, then became a mother, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And then you released Minnesota on your own yep. a couple of years ago. Yeah. Right? What's the difference for those of us that aren't really part of the music industry? What's the big difference between being on a label like Columbia and then doing something like that? Um, it's really just the money they can put behind you. I was with Columbia and then I ended up getting out of my deal. I ended up feeling like I, I really wanted to be independent. It's, I think in the major label system, there's so many artists, or at least you, there were, you know, there were so many artists and it was like, we're prioritizing this project and this project and these projects can just like, you know, they're fed for themselves. And so that was, it's frustrating. It was frustrating for me to work really, really hard and tour a lot and mm. do all those radio interviews and th- and not feel like maybe you had label support behind you. And so ultimately I had a choice to either turn in another record or go yeah. and I chose to, to go. I don't really like anyone being the boss of me. That's sort of my personality. And so I like to know that <laughs> I'm in charge of my, I'd like to know that if I work really hard, I will also see the results from that. And if I, you know, I don't work really hard and I'm lazy, then nothing's gonna happen. So I mean, you know, it's like I, I, I don't like someone else being in charge of my creative baby. These were my songs, these are my, this is my heart, this is my art and my dream. And if a corporation is in charge of that, when they don't care. I mean, I could be a widget, doesn't matter. They don't care about, so it's just, I, I don't know. I just feel like art being corporatized in general is just a bad idea, so which I mean. Sen- which scenario has more pressure on it? Is it pleasing and getting the sales for the label or is it oh, the, the, the amount of work that's involved in just doing it on your own? Today you have to wear a lot of hats. Yeah. And I have three kids. I, 
I don't have uh, my 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 showbiz hat is, is small. Yeah. I'm mostly in in mom mode, which is amazing and the best thing I've ever done in my life. So I I don't regret that at all. But music has definitely taken a, a back seat to being a parent. It is a lot of work being an independent artist. That being said, there's so many more conduits to getting your music out there. Than, I mean, look at all the control that someone has. Like, If you really work it yeah. and you really are out there working the socials, getting out on tour, I mean, you'll, you'll see some results. You'll build a fan base. And I think artists are finding out, friends of mine, they, they really they want quality gigs. They want to play gigs. They don't want to play noisy bars where no one's listening. Like right. They want to play cool house concerts or songwriter series or things where people are really there to listen to the songs and are appreciative and you, they'd rather have a small loyal following and build a community around that than pursue the big dream which the odds are not in your favor especially today when radio is like oh, yeah. not a thing it's just it's just different yeah. and, and and i think people don't have an attention span like you and i would sit and listen to a whole record and we would look at the liner notes and we'd want to know all the songs totally. and i just don't think kids doing that as much some some yeah. are i think they're finding old music they're coming back to it um it's fun my my, my almost 14 year old was listening to tears for fears the other day and i was like man that's, that's like my jam this feels like the playing field is leveled with Bandcamp, yeah patreon like there's outlets for artists to do it where back in the day you would need to convince somebody in a boardroom somewhere that there's a there there well you know now that being said, there, there used to be real music guys in there. I mean, right. there used to be people who were really good at their jobs in the industry who, who were music lovers. I, I know several of them. They're retired or gone. As I think things became more corporate and yeah. it became more about, you know, millions being sold, those artists that maybe took a while to grow weren't given that chance. Like if you didn't sell a million copies out of the, out of the gate, they were like, and you're done. Versus, you know, in the 70s, it's just one I should have... Man, <laughs> I know. Like, there was a lot of artist development. I mean, you know, Neil Young. I mean, so many people. Bruce Springsteen. I mean, mm. didn't have, like, big hits. Mm. It's three, four albums in? I don't know. There was people who believed in the artists. Mm. They worked at the labels. People will say, yeah, there was a lot of money to go around. There was enough. Everybody was making money. So, so it was easy for them to be patient. But I just don't think that those tastemakers are necessarily there anymore. And the, in the downside of having so much music out there is it is kind of hard to find I mean, we're, we're having to discover it ourselves because yeah, there exactly. used to be someone yeah. who was kind of like, hey, exactly. this is good. This is good. This is good. You listen to it. Yeah. But, you know, that's not bad either. Yeah. So the Minnesota album came out a few years ago. You worked with Phil Madera. Yes. Right. I know Phil from decades ago. He was part of the Ragamuffin Band with Rich Mullins, who I'm a big fan of, who tragically died in a car accident in, in the late 90s. But Phil Madera, even then in the 90s, I, I saw him perform and he's like the pro's pro. Mm-hmm. He could play everything. Yep. And, and now I think he's playing with Emmylou yes. Harris a lot. Yeah. So talk about that, the record, yeah. right? And, what and was create. cool about that, I mean, I've played with great players on my Who I Am record. Jay Bellarose was on drums. I mean, one of the best drummers ever. Charlie Drayton played drums on my, my self-titled record. You know, I've got, there have been some, uh, you know, John Bryan's played guitar on my Columbia record. You know, I, I've had some great musicians on my on my projects. But the a record that I did with Phil, you know, Chris Donahue, Brian Owings, Phil Madeira, they're they're the they're Emmy Lou's band. Yeah. So like it was like ready made band. Like they oh play gosh. together all the time. Phil and I have been friends for a really long time and I you know, I didn't have a huge budget, but it was like, hey, if I was gonna come down and let's try and do, you know, ten, twelve tracks, 
how can we do this economically and make it fun and whatever? And he's like, I got, I got the guys like we're here. <laughs> we're here. This is what we do. This is, we're here. And I was like, great. Sounds great. And then, you know, my friend Wayne Kirkpatrick put some guitar down. We had uh, a couple other folks come in and, and put some few overdubs on. Will Kimbrough played so that, but they're all, they all play together all, all the time. So they speak that language, right. but you know, Nashville has so many, I mean, I think they have the largest concentration of the best right. musicians in the world. And, and they are pros. I didn't have to give really any direction. It was like, here's the song, play what you would play. Right. And of course, it was great. You know, I, I love what they, what they brought to the record. At this stage in your career, what are you curious about when it comes to life, music? Mm-hmm. What, what's out there that you're interested in? Well, I, I want to continue to improve. I would like to improve um, on my playing. Uh, you know, if I, I always say, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll have a really great show and I'll be like, gosh, it sounded good. Like my guitar playing was good. Like if I would only practice, imagine how much better I would get. So, you know, I'd like to make more time for that. Um, I would love to, uh, my, my piano playing, I'd, I'd really love to learn or fake, you know, New Orleans stride piano. Mm. Like I'd really, I talk about that being my old lady gig. Like that would be, you know, that'll be me in the I home. Yeah, Just, I can see yeah, that. <laughs> entertaining the, the folks at cocktail hour. Yeah, no, I don't know that. That sounds fun. So just, uh, just improving my music skills and continuing to write. I don't have any like goal goals yeah, other yeah. than just continuing to make interesting okay. art. Yeah. So the, it's been a few years since Minnesota. Do you have plans for a new album? I am just kind of coming out of a, a bit of a fallow period. You know, the record came out right before COVID hit. So yeah. there was, there was, it was it's not a great time for a record to come out. So there, <laughs> there wasn't a lot of touring behind it. Yeah. Um, and then we all just sat at home and some people made records like Taylor Smith made two records. I did not. I took a lot of naps. We went on a lot of hikes. <laughs> um, I baked a lot. Life is busy with 11 year old twins and a almost 14 year old and sports and just life. So I've, I've been doing a bit of writing, but I feel like I'm just kind of coming out of, still coming out of the whole 2020 shutdown thing. And, and um, I, I mean, don't think do I quite have enough songs yet for a new album, but... I was going to ask you a year or two years in between albums. I'm, yeah. I'm just wondering the, the production and the output, if you do have a backlog of material to sort of pare down. Yeah. Or if it, because of what you're doing in your responsibilities, yeah. it's not like that. It, you have to actually kind of take one, take one and, you know, build it you know, over the course of a few years, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, uh, yeah, I don't have, I have not had a t- the time to just like, I'm going to crank out 10 songs. Yeah. I, um, so some of my songs, yeah, may be several years old by the time I get around to recording them. But, but I think there's still, it, I, I mean, I have to feel it. You know, I have to say, is this, is there still a thread here? Is this still interesting to me? Am I still in this place where I want to share that? I think that's the danger of letting something sit for too long. Cause you might not be in that space anymore. It's, I mean, it's not a danger. Right. It's good. It's right. good that you wrote it. It's good you got it out there. I would probably look back at all my stuff and say, okay, what's the, what's the uniting thread in all of this? Is mm. there an idea? And, I, and the thought is, do I, make another, do I make a full album? I don't know. Mm. Are people even listening to full albums? Do I do just like a four-song EP or three-song EP? I don't know what, I, what, what the plan would be. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe something like smaller, five and under. Do something like that. And it is nice to have something printed, whether that's on vinyl or CD, just to sell at a show, even though everybody's right. streaming. But Well, no, um, like I was, I've been talking you know. to a few people this weekend, and obviously the vinyl thing is a complete resurgence. Yeah. I was shocked how many people are still doing the CD thing. Yeah. Signing CDs, because I think there is something to be said for the physical product. And 
Well, you know. artists will joke. They'll say, well, while you're listening to the streaming, you can look at this and look, there's lyrics. You can <laughs> right. open it up. Yeah, you can and there's a booklet in here. Yeah. And yeah. But it's interesting, um, right? Because I think the profit margin can be decent for the physical products, right? Yeah, we don't sell like we used to. I yeah. mean, I used to, with shows, you could sell a box of CDs easy yeah. in a night, which was a, a, a really important part of an yeah. ar- a touring artist's income. We don't have that really yeah. anymore. So I feel like you're in the t-shirt business now or whatever it is, merch, other types of merch. That's what I'm seeing artist friends selling. Yeah. Merch, t-shirts and things because... People still want something to take away from the experience, but it's not necessarily a, a CD. Right. And vinyl is expensive to produce, but but um, folks are doing it. Folks so. are doing it. Yeah. 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 I just don't want a basement full of vinyl. You know, I already have <laughs> boxes of CDs that I don't know what I'm going to do with. Right. They're going to be buried with me someday. So do you think the if <laughs> you do the if you do the five song project or yeah. a three song project is that a 2024? goal or maybe or not really i don't know we'll have to see what happens in yeah. the next few months i always i get pretty energized being down here uh it's easy to get caught up in the the mm. stuff when you get home and you're like oh i have, I have to go get groceries There's so much laundry to do yeah. yeah i'm gonna go get a couple uh co-write set up in february my friend wayne kirkpatrick and i'm gonna sit down with chuck cannon and oh, see cool. what we come up with and a few other people and see what happens so i hope we spend our summers up at these wilderness camps so that's that's a big chunk of my summer i'm, I'm leading canoe trips up in canada in it, yeah. which uh, is right. cool so yeah. um that takes up I, I become a whole different person in the summer i'm wilderness alice <laughs> and home now for you is cincinnati right yeah. yeah yeah what's the music scene in cincinnati like we've only been there six years or so and again because i'm not out playing it's not like a an industry town like a nashville or a mm. new york or a, a la where um there really is there's an industry and you can mm. you, there's a lot of concentration of musicians where you can get in the studio and write that's nice for me because i can sort of balance that mom artist workload i can be in the studio and writing and i can be home for dinner so i don't have that i have to be much more self-directed in cincinnati but there are artists there there's a lot of musicians i mean the cincinnati conservatory of music is there there's a classical scene there's a jazz scene mm. there are songwriters there the nationals from there over the rhine, over the rhine. there is a music scene and, and i think it's growing cincinnati's been a really fun surprise for for me i had, didn't know much about it before we moved there and like some great restaurants and breweries and um the architecture is fascinating. It's an old city. It reminds me of like a Pittsburgh or something. Mm. You know, like it's just, it's, it's an, there's a lot of green space. Um, there's a lot of history. So I think, I think artists are moving there, you know, cost of living's probably less. And right. Yeah. So I got to ask you, yeah. uh, Skyline or Gold Star? Oh, Skyline for sure. <laughs> As my children, every time <laughs> we go past, pause. no, if they go past a Gold Star, they're like, boo. No contemplation. Yeah, we've never even tried Gold Star. Really? Yeah. To be fair. But, okay. but we won't because we are loyal the skyline yep all right well you know the gold star conies are are something that there's something there but i mean I, I, skyline you know, has yeah chili cheese conies why would you why would you go across <laughs> why would know. you cross I, that line i'm not from there or i don't live there so well, I don't all right visited. you don't have anything invested in it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i mean we're not even stakeholders or anything it's not right. like we own shares in skyline um but that's yeah my husband's from cincinnati and it's sort of like you know, his, his grandpa ran uh, uh, the international division at P&G. And so when we got married, he was very specific. There was some, you know, we were going to eat Jif peanut butter and we were going to use Tide. And we were gonna exactly. <laughs> very brand loyal. And yeah. I don't care. I'm like, oh, whatever. You know, I like the natural peanut butter. Yeah. So what kind of toothpaste do you use? It's probably what you used when you were a kid. Unless you realize that you didn't like that anymore and you 
I use Jason. It's a natural toothpaste. <laughs> We're going to talk about products. Also, um, some natural deodorant that I just bought at Publix that I don't normally use. It was not my brand, but right. um, we'll ho- hope it's working. I'm it, sitting here in the I sun. Have, so know, yeah, you're good. Yeah. I think you're good. I'm not offending myself right now, so that's good. So one last brief topic, yes. uh, loyalty. <laughs> so you mentioned loyalty to P&G and brands. <laughs> um, you grew up in Minnesota. You live in Cincinnati. I grew up in Missouri. So the Midwest. Missouri. Missouri. It's, it's actually Missouri. I don't know. <laughs> but I'm, you know, there's something, I always have a tie there. You know, you grow up, I don't know if it's a Midwestern thing, but like how, how does loyalty to your roots and your heritage, you named it in your, your recent album about Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Your husband's from Cincinnati. I would imagine that's what brought you back to Cincinnati in terms yeah, of you know, raising the yeah. family and stuff. Yeah. But can you talk a little bit about that? Like how, you know, I think it's a home. I think it's more just like that sense of home where, where your childhood was. Um, there's a lot of touchstones that remind you, you know, smells and sounds. I mean, this is lovely as I look around me and I think, ah, could I live here? I mean, I think I would enjoy it very much. But at some point in time, I would say, you know what? I need some cold weather and I need some snow and I want to hear some loons and some red winged blackbirds. And I want to, you know, like there, there's mm. sights and smells that remind you of your childhood at least for me i lived in los angeles i've lived i've lived a lot of different places i lived in nashville for 10 years um very nice kind of temperate weather but like they got poisonous snakes there we don't have anything poisonous in minnesota it's too cold <laughs> we don't have poisonous spiders we don't even have brown recluse i should i'm uh, as i'm knocking on the table yeah. i don't know maybe that maybe they have them now but we don't have anything poisonous like nothing survives the cold <laughs> <laughs> the idea of living somewhere where there might be like cotton mouths right in the water no bueno yeah, no, right no thanks no, no. yeah yeah well so you th- have those in in missouri though. missouri copperheads for sure yeah yeah there's there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff there's there's you know i don't think there's copperheads in minnesota i really don't think there's yeah. any venomous snakes there yeah which no, I'm makes sure you're me right. feel very safe yeah no, that's good I feel pretty safe out there in the wilderness because nothing really is going to kill me i mean i mean a moose uh, well, got really mad there might be yeah. some moose so I think you know the inspiration for this podcast is is Ted Lasso. There's lots of things about Ted Lasso that sort of change how I look at myself and be a leader in, in my job. This is not a full-time job. This is like a pra- passion project. But one thing I really appreciate about it that is subtle, but he's from Kansas. Mm-hmm. The character's from Kansas. Jason right. Sudeikis, who created the series, is from Kansas. There's Easter eggs in pretty much every episode, but you know, throughout the three seasons where it's, it's Kansas, it's barbecue sauce, it's elements. And it's, and that's how I think, you know, I, everything I, everything I do, whether it's, you know, personally or professionally, I always try to tie it back to me growing up in Missouri. And it was really cool to see that. Mm-hmm. Can you relate to that? Does that, have you, have you tried to do that in, in some of your songwriting? Hmm. I don't know that I've intentionally left, Easter eggs, but I, um, but well, you know what? I guess, I mean, I guess, yeah, it's, if it's, I'm thinking like a song, real life grew up in a Minnesota town. I, I reference Chicago. I reference, I guess, I guess our culture. Sure. I'm sure, I'm sure it's part of mm. who we are. I don't, I never talked about like hot dish or hockey in my songs yet, <laughs> but, um, but there's still time. Don't yeah. you know? Um, uh, yeah, that's interesting. I, I, I think, how could your your culture, your background not right. filter into your work? Right. right. Whatever that is. Yeah. You know? 
it was just interesting again not to go crazy on it but him being in the uk it's so uptight sophisticated mm -hmm. there's all these all these things and he's just like this good old boy from the midwest mm -hmm. you know talking about you know different aspects of 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 that life and it's he's unashamed Right. Which I love. Right? Well, I do think that's true. I mean, I am I'm a, I'm my father's daughter. I mm. mean, I definitely I'll talk to anybody. I'll talk to strangers. I'm a uh, I'm different than some of my friends who maybe are from big cities and are much more reserved. I mean, I'm I'm a Minnesotan for sure. Yeah. I mean, I can talk with anyone and uh, I enjoy that. Now, I shouldn't say that every Minnesotan does, but right. it's a very Midwestern quality, I think, for us to be you know, kind of open hearted and sort of like I describe myself. They always say that we're um, our dogs. Like we choose dogs that are like us. And um, I've had a couple golden retrievers and I think I'm, I'm kind of a golden retriever. If I were, I could see that a person, I mean yeah. a dog, if I were a duck, I was like, Hey, Hey, what's going on? <laughs> hi. And, you know, with like the full expectation that people are going to like yeah, me because yeah. I'm just like, hi, everything's pretty great. And you know, and then if someone has some attitude, I, I'm, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't respect um, I don't know. I, I like social cliques and things like that. If they're even as a grown up, sometimes there's like moms, there's like little mm, mom groups, right. and I, I, I bust into them, fully expecting that I'm going to be included. I mean, they might be rolling their eyes and talking about me behind my back, but I'm not going to be negative about it. I'm just going to be like, what, what are we talking about? <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> Well, thoughts and prayers to the person that doesn't include Alice Peacock. Right? I mean, I mean come on. Seriously. Who wouldn't want to know me? Seriously. I mean, jeez. Well, it's been a pleasure to meet you, <laughs> Alice. I'd love if you could play a couple songs. Sure. All right? Yeah. Thank you for your time. You're welcome. The moon is waxing. Over the water, a silver path across the lake. A loon is calling to her lover, the sweetest love song ever sang. Minnesota, land of my childhood, you are. Flowing through my veins And I am drawn to Your safe harbor Forever earth thirsty For a drink Last night we watched The electric light show Playing wide Across the sky, sat on the front porch in sacred silence. Yeah, the sparks almost made me cry. Minnesota, land of my childhood, you are flowing through my veins. And I am drawn to your safe harbor, forever earth thirsty for a drink. Like the willow, my roots grow stronger, searching deep, searching wide. I wanna linger 
longer until I reach the other side. The moon is waxing over the water. A million stars fill up the night. I am nothing. I am holy, a voyager under northern lights, Minnesota, band of my childhood, you are flowing through my veins, and I am drawn to your safe harbor. Forever thirsty for a drink. Forever thirsty for a drink. Thanks so much for joining us for another episode of Curious Goldfish. Please follow and subscribe to the podcast and on social media. Also, tell your music-loving friends about us too. Until next time, stay curious.